I'm Catherine Zox, your social worker with a microphone, and you're listening to The Catherine Zox Show. And joining me today is the founder of Publicly Private, Colin Conrad, and he and I are going to be discussing how homophobia impacts LGBTQ plus daily lives. For members of the LGBTQ plus community, homophobia impacts them every single day. How do negative homophobic attitudes and behaviors affect the community? How can allies help minimize this issue for the community? Education and awareness can be the most powerful tools we have to support each other. Colin Conrad is the founder and executive director of Publicly Private, a nonprofit organization offering supplies, support, and empowerment to the LGBTQIA community and their families. Publicly Private was inspired by Conrad's personal journey of growing up as a gay man in the South. He's concerned about the effects of homophobia on one's mental state and addresses the fears that one experiences when confronted with homophobic prejudices. He's always been passionate about helping and befriending underdeserved individuals, combined his passion and his experience to create publicly private and aid LGBTQIA plus individuals in their lifelong journey. Welcome to the show. Uh, nice to have you on today, Colin. Thank you so much. What a great introduction. I appreciate okay. it. Good. All right. So maybe we should start with, I mean, this is your experience growing up in the South as a gay man and as, as a little boy. Let's start from there, your personal experience. Um, and how that impacted you. Okay. Of course. So I grew up in the Knoxville, Tennessee area, so stronghold of the Bible Belt and conservative values. It's great for raising a family in a safe environment, I would say, in that aspect. But for me as a gay individual, I faced a ton of bullying in schools. At the age of 13, I knew I was gay, and I did not feel comfortable coming out. So I plotted a plan to move across the country to Los Angeles, which is where I reside now. And from there, I slowly had to learn to forget all the bullying and all the torment that I faced faced growing up in school and around the neighborhood and tried to relinquish those negative thoughts in order to free myself. Okay, two questions, because I want to go back to that, because uh, I think it's really important, because there are so many young people who are, uh, you know, suffering from homophobia uh, in the way that you did, not necessarily just in the South, obviously. But so when you were a little boy, when you were 13, you knew that you were gay. But before that, First of all, your parents or siblings, uh, did. I don't know whether you had come out or talked to them and how much support they gave you. And what kind of bullying did you get from these kids and how did it affect you? Well, it was, it was mostly teasing. I think at the height of it was when I was 13 in middle school when I did uh, get pinned down in the back of the bus and was touched inappropriately in order for them to try to figure out and expose me as a homosexual. And my family was always supportive. For me, it was never a fact that I couldn't trust them. It was I didn't trust the environment I was in. So in order for me to be out as a gay male, I needed to move away from the situation. They didn't really understand how bad the bullying had gotten, how bad the teasing was. Um, They didn't even know till I was 23 when I told them about my molestation on the bus. And that was kind of the the, um, pivotal point for them to realize that, wow, 
it, it was really, really bad for me growing up. What about in school? Were there any teachers, what, uh, principals, or any in, counselors, anybody that uh, knew about what was going on? Because you said, well, this incident, this horrific incident happened on the bus. That's public. There's a bus driver. Um, you know, how did it play out in school, or did they just close their eyes to the bullying? Um, well, I, I just suppressed it, to be honest. I didn't want to tell anybody because I had had prior experiences with going to our vice principal in, in middle school. Middle school is kind of where, you know, it, it gets worse. I think bullying as around all, every, all the kids are, you know, now hitting puberty and feeling hormones. Middle school is kind of the height of it. Um, and I had gone to the principal prior about a guy that was threatening to beat me up. And I went to the principal and he said, oh, he's not going to do anything to you. And I was like, oh, that makes me feel really safe because he's literally yeah. threatening me. He's lunging at me in the hallways. And you're just telling me, oh, he's not going to do anything to me. So I did not feel protected. I did not feel supported at all by the school in that aspect. I always, and I talk about this a lot on the show with my friends, family, uh, and with a lot of my gay friends, like, where does that hate come from at, at, at such a young age? I, how, I mean, obviously you were a very young man at the time too. So, but uh, I, I just, and, and then as you get older, um, wh why do people care? Why do people care who you love or who you want to be with? What, what, where are they coming? What? This irrational fear that it's going to affect them. But at the end of the day, the way I live my life has has literally no effect on you. The me me marrying a man has no effect on you. And I think there's like a deep rooted fear of the gay community that was created by all the stigma when, you know, throughout the HIV pandemic. And I think a lot of people still live in the fear and uphold certain values that aren't necessarily true when it comes to what living your life as a homosexual means. So you think it was exacerbated uh, because of a because of HIV, uh, um, that the homophobic fears were exacerbated at that time. Do you think? Uh, but do you think things have gotten better? I mean, in terms of people's attitudes, that things have changed. I mean, I'm in a blue state. I'm in New York State. So, uh, and you're now in California. So that's different than Tennessee. I'm making that oh, assumption. For sure, yeah. <laughs> completely different climate. I think that it's not necessarily gotten better. I think it's just shifted. I think they're currently using all the same propaganda um, to, to on transphobia, so to attack the trans community. We've had kind of, you know, the homosexual aspect of the LGBTQIA plus has kind of settled, but now they're attacking other facets of the community. And this is where everybody really needs to stand up and unite and all the allies really need to come together and support the community. In doing so, let's talk about specifically how can people, for, let's say listeners, how, how can allies support the community? What should we be doing? I think it's standing up um, and just showing your support, whether that's on uh, social media or you see a queer person walking down the street, just acknowledging their existence and letting them know that, you know, you're a friend. That can just be a friendly, friendly smile or a wave. It can be as much as tending attending um, a pride protest because uh, this year they're kind of turning them back into protest because the trans community has been so attacked. And I think that's what we forget a lot is that 
Pride Month is celebrated this month to commemorate the anniversary of Stonewall. So Pride did start as a protest, and now we're kind of shifting back to that because Pride has been turned into this party, but with 500, over 500 legislation bills being proposed to attack the transgender community, community across 40 states, it's really concerning um, and the time that we're turning to and how politicians are using rhetoric of transphobia, you know, entice fear into the communities. I, I think it's, and it is, ter- it is very frightening for, to, as you mentioned, middle school kids, high school kids um, to be put in those kinds of positions. I mean, that's frightening and dangerous. And I do have to say, I want you to know that I have received, uh, this was many years ago, but the Straight But Not mm-hmm. Narrow Award from the Pride community here in uh, Albany. So I'm very proud of that. Oh, wow. Yeah. Oh, that's so, awesome. That's yeah. awesome. And, yeah, uh, speaking back on that, like it, uh, I had a conversation, we, had, we attended Pride in Tennessee this past weekend. They do two Prides, so they do one in June, that's kind of earlier in June, and then they do one in the fall, just because it gets so hot, so they do their parade in the fall. But I was... I was, um, someone said, and they were like, oh, we, why, why do you think, you know, we never celebrate straight pride? And I'm like, because it's the norm. And you went from birth, you know, it's assumed that I am this and that I will be this and that I will like blue and girls will like pink and everybody will be happy to married at the end of the day. And celebrating something that isn't the norm is important for visibility. It's important for awareness. It really shows to those, you know, younger generations that they have hope and they have something to look up to. And that's why I insisted that my family home, they fly a pride flag out front just because, you know, seeing that little representation of visibility within a community that is more so closed-minded than other states, nice for someone to look up and be like, okay, this house, this area is a safe space for me. They see that, you know, pride is important. That's great. I mean, that's, I think it is important. And I mean, that's obvious. That's, that's probably the easiest thing to do, you know, you know, to um, show uh, that you are an ally. Um, Because I think one of the main concern or big concern is uh, the suicide rate amongst um, uh, gay kids and, and trans kids. And yeah, and that's a, I, I don't know the statistics. You probably know the statistics, but that is very true. Yeah, I just yeah. reviewed, uh, the Trevor project released their 2023 annual report. Um, it's at 42%, which is a little bit better than the prior years. It dropped by a few percent, but it's still, you have 42% of LGBTQI plus youth strongly considered considering suicide. And the greatest, you know, effects on decreasing that number are places of affirmation. So affirming spaces in schools, affirming spaces in extracurricular activities, and affirming spaces at home. So it really, really does play a key role to remove the phobia from those environments and create an inclusive community where these kids can thrive and live their lives. How helpful do you think it is like when celebrities come out and uh, how helpful is it? Well, to the general, to the community, but also to some of these kids in terms of having role models and people looking up to um, what impact do you think that has on? I think it's a, it has yeah. an amazing impact. I think we see more and more um, 
with new media, we see more and more representation of the LGBTQI plus community and access to those type of shows and that type of content. Uh, growing up, I never knew where to find uh, representation of myself. And now I, you know, we have shows that the LGBTQI plus community uh, raves about, like Heartstoppers and those that are just kind of those love stories that we all kind of wish we could have experienced in high school. And I also look back on my life with a little bit of regret and like, why, you know, why didn't I just come out and why didn't I just, you know, face that fear? But really, I have to remind myself, you know, even with those somewhat of regrets that it was not safe for me and that I believe I made the right choice and right decision, even though I did miss out on certain aspects of life, like attending prom with someone I actually cared about or going to the, you know, late night football game with someone I actually cared about. And, um, you know, missing out on those childhood memories is also an aspect that homophobia brings into the LGBTQIA plus youth. And those little, little things do matter when you're growing up. And I think that that makes it even more difficult to express yourself. Uh, that's right. Yeah. You're, I think that's that's a good point. All those developmental stages where you can't actually be a, a part of it, whether it's, you described it, whether it's prom or going to the, in your case, going to the movie with your boyfriend or whatever it is, right? I, I mean, and, and that does add up, but you can't beat yourself over the head. You've, uh, look what you're doing now. And I'm looking at your picture. You look fairly young to me. Um, so you, <laughs> thanks, 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 thanks. I'm not, I won't ask you how old you are, but you can tell me if you want to. Um, yeah, I'm approaching my late twenties, so this this uh, this year marks a big uh, triumph for me into a new era of life. Okay, so, so this new era, including city. you're the founder and the executive director of Publicly Private. Let's talk about Publicly Private and uh, what you actually do, because creating this sure. organization yeah, is what you didn't have, as you just said, growing up and you wished you had. So, okay. So what does publicly private do? Right. So publicly private, um, the reason for the name and the reason for all the branding of it is it's because it's discreet and it's meant to be approached by, it was designed for children like me growing up in the South that don't feel comfortable approaching, you know, rainbows and butterflies yet. They're still trying to figure out their identity and they want to do it on a safe and secure level for their protection. So under the publicly private umbrella, we have three uh, main resources that we provide. We have Explore, we have Venture, and we have Strengthen. Explore is an informational and awareness center that discusses topics surrounding culture, community, and health. So on there, you can find blog posts from people of the LGBTQI plus community where they discuss their stories and share a little bit about them. And then you can have find um, items of culture or blog posts of culture that discuss the history of the LGBTQIA plus community effects of the AIDS pandemic uh, or like intersection, intersectionality of being a person of color and LGBTQIA plus and how that affects your mental health. And then we have the health posts, which are more overviews of how to take care of yourself and how to make sure that you are thriving as an LGBTQIA plus individual. And then we have Venture, which is our sexual health resource center. And we have three points under Venture, which is protect, prevent, and examine, so PPE. And we provide prophylactics that ship discreetly um, to people's homes. So we have condom packs on the website that are easy, easily ordered. And we have testing kits and baseline prep services. Both the testing kits and baseline prep services include telehealth visits with a physician, 
So you do get to see a doctor virtually. And that is very, very important for the LGBTQI plus community because oftentimes they face discrimination when trying to go get testing or see a doctor. So it's nice to have the ability to do it at home or do it someplace where you're comfortable uh, in order to make sure that your health is on track. That was my and, next question. Yeah, I'm sorry. Go ahead. No, no, go ahead. Go ahead and ask. Uh, I know my last well, point. So okay. Uh, well, talking about the uh, telehealth and you know having that privacy and being having access to doctors, I think some hospitals or maybe many hospitals and uh, this I know on the East Coast and I would assume in California really have um, physicians. Uh, they may be uh, LGBTQ physicians themselves or not, but that they provide, uh, that they uh, reach out to the community um, and not just telehealth, I mean, in-person care and that uh, hospitals and clinics provide that kind of uh, care and uh, uh, medical medical care for, for the community. Right. And I know, right. uh, yeah, which I think is important too. Yeah, it's- yeah, it's good. They do have, like in Tennessee, there's now a few clinics that I've heard that where transgender individuals feel safe and going and getting their care, and that's absolutely fantastic. But um, a lot of times it's transportation that comes down to it or just even the fear of getting tested. I know for me growing up that I didn't really get my first AIDS, uh, or not AIDS, but HIV screening um, until I was in my mid-20s, and that is a long time to wait for someone who is a high-risk population. So trying to get that accessible and easily, um, you know, there for the LGBTQIA plus community is very important because I was never going to ask my parents for the car so I could go to the doctor to go get (laughs) tested. It would would have been a question, you know? So having that discreetly shipped to my house was important. And then, so the last point um, or the last resource that we provide at Publicly Private is Strengthen. So it's online group therapy sessions or, or spaces of affirmation for the LGBTQIA plus community um, and parents of LGBTQIA plus. That is very important. I know that the parents of LGBTQIA plus dot one is kind of inspired by my mom because she, when I came out to her, she wasn't really um, sure how to react. And so she, you know, made a misstep that she feels feels bad about them and her reaction because she was confused about why I didn't trust her. I had to, you know, explain to her that it wasn't the fact that I didn't trust you. It's just I did not feel safe. I might have felt safe in the home, but I didn't feel safe outside the home. And that really affected my decision on informing you that I was gay. And so we created that. I created that class and pretty much for her. So that way parents could have a place to discuss, um, you know, their their realizations of their child being gay because I think for my mom it was a lot of like shock and the fact that oh gosh you're going you're going you're you're gay not that you won't be okay but it's going to make your life that much harder. So and you're saying you didn't come out to her because it, it's about you not about her. I mean initially I mean it's about how right. you felt right. Uh, and you mentioned right. your mom and uh, and I I wonder what about siblings. Not necessarily your siblings, but you know, in terms of the family, because in a family, uh, whatever—and I'm calling this a family secret, at least initially—it impacts the whole family. Not, you know, not just. Does, yeah, yeah. I had, you know, I had an um, an older sister and a younger sister, and 
fortunate enough. My family is very, very close. My sister just recently bought the house down from my parents. So when I go to town, I'm able to walk um, back and forth between both houses, which is really nice and convenient. And we all hang out together and we, you know, get along for the most part. We have our little, little sibling rivalry that every family does. Yeah. But um, yeah. And they both have, um, I have three nieces and well, one, two nieces, two nieces and one nephew, but my sister's reactions, my, my little sister was, you know, of love and just very calm and chill. But my older sister's reaction was a little bit like, Oh, again, kind of like my mom's like, why didn't you tell me? Like I did, I defended you all those years. And I was like, you know, I wasn't, I was not ready. And, um, I think that's because me, me being gay, she also faced a little bit of that bullying and a little bit of that questioning because we were so, we were two years apart. So we're close in age. So we attended high school together. We attended, you know, places where people started to question and, you know, realize that I was different. And, um, so she faced a lot of that torment as well of people constantly asking her. And so she was like, why didn't you just tell me, you know, I would have, you know, stood up for you. I, I stood up for you so long saying that you were straight. You know, it's kind of frustrating that you didn't tell me. And I was like, well, you know, it, it, well, again, it wasn't about you. It was about the fact that I did not feel safe. What about now? You go back to um, Knoxville. What kind of, yeah. yeah, what kind of gay community is there now? And you're out there, obviously. You're becoming well-known. Yeah. So it's what's really, the, Well, it's really yeah. interesting you, you asked that question yeah. because, um, when I used to travel back, so I've been in Los Angeles uh, 11, 11 years now. And when I used to travel back, I would never see um, any representation of like a queer individual or um, a queer couple. But the landscape, I think, is slowly shifting and slowly changing. And seeing all the, uh, the queer community come out to South Knoxville Pride this past weekend was pretty awesome. And I think it's growing there. And it really is, you're seeing an uprising of the queer community and how they want change and they want to be seen and they want to be visible. And it's really beautiful. And I'm happy that publicly private can be there and take part in that. Hiding is not good <laughs> and getting out there yeah. and yeah. And being out there and being who you are, that that's, that's uh well, that's good. I mean, that's great. Um, okay. We only have three minutes left. So tell us or how we can connect with publicly private or connect with you um, and, sure. uh, yeah. So our website is, um, publiclyprivate.org and on there you'll find, uh, all our resources listed. And then from that as well, you're able to see our gift page or any of our merchandise where proceeds all benefit publicly private and our mission to support the LGBTQIA plus community. So I encourage everyone to go on there and take part and however you feel comfortable and we're, you know, excited to continue and move this mission forward. And I appreciate you having me on today. Great. Thanks so much for being on the show. Colin Conrad, founder and executive director of Publicly Private. Great talking to you today. Really appreciate Thank all the good know. information. Thank you. I'm Catherine Zox, your social worker with a microphone, and you've been listening to The Catherine Zox Show. 